Welcome to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. I'm your host, Donald Miller. I'm joined by my co-host, J.J. Peterson. Hi, J.J. Hi, Don. What is the number one way <laughs> that you think people screw up their lives? Ooh. Good question, what is, right? Yeah. What's the number one way? I think the biggest thing for me that annoys me with people where I just see them stuck over and over again is when they get stuck in a cycle of cynicism. Ah. Like, like being just like overtaken cynical. by it. Like I think being critical thinking is fantastic. I think cynical thinking actually leads towards a downward spiral. I 100% agree. I yeah. think cynicism is a cancer. Yeah. I look at a lot of people who like I grew up in high school with and – Staying in our hometown, it's a small hometown, uh, there's a lot of people who actually really love it and it's great, but there's a lot of people who just like wanted to leave and never did. They mm. just like never took that leap of faith to do something different. And I listen to them talk and they're just so cynical. You think it comes out of fear? You think cynicism oh, comes huge, out of fear? Oh, yeah. huge, huge. Yeah, because it's a defense mechanism because you're looking for all of the ways that everything's going to go wrong and then you start pointing it out and then you just start thinking that way all the yeah. time. It's and, an excuse too. Yep. It's like, well, no, you know, that'll never work for me because... Because blah, blah, blah. I remember reading an interview. It was a journalist who got in a car Uh with Matthew McConaughey and Uh drove from L.A. to Austin, Texas, where Matthew (laughs) was. That would be a fun opportunity, right? I would love to be in that car, actually. (laughs) (laughs) And McConaughey starts listening to self-help tapes. Uh You know, like when the conversation dies, he just starts listening to self-help tapes. Yeah. And the journalist, like, thinks this is a put-on. Yeah. Like, he thinks this is a joke. You know, like Matthew Connor's playing a character yeah, clearly, yeah, and he yeah. wants he clearly wants like <laughs> self help tapes to be yeah. in the article. Yeah, you know, he says, "Hey, like you can stop. Like you don't have to." He's like, "What do you mean? You, you don't listen to you know stuff like this?" No, like clearly, you know, the journalist. Yeah. And he says, "Hey, listen, if you're going to be a cynic, you can walk." He says, yeah. "Like cynicism will kill your career." And he was yeah. dead serious. Yeah, he was like, "Yeah, some of this stuff is really goofy, yeah. absolutely, but cynicism is awful." Yeah. And I, I thought that was fascinating coming from Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. I'm a cynic at heart. A cynic <laughs> cynic is my default mode. I mean, maybe, but you're also very optimistic. Okay, what is it when somebody does something and I'm like, Oh, you're 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 total faking it. You're a fraud. <laughs> is that cynicism? Because I do that it could a lot. Be. It could be a little bit. I or is that just a mean person? Yeah. <laughs> you're just a jerk. It's not cynicism. Yeah, you're you're a just cynic. a jerk. You're just a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> you were raised poorly. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, they're in a sense of where I think you actually trust people pretty easily. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, no, don't trust them. <laughs> like, done. Slow down. Because you actually do think like the best of people. And then once they do something that proves you wrong. They're out. Then, forever. then you do become cynical, <laughs> but you're actually, you're very optimistic about things. I do understand that side of where there's a temptation to get cynical yeah. real quick about, I don't think anybody, especially nowadays, I think yeah. it's really, really easy yeah, yeah. to just get cynical about everything. Yep. I don't think we have a cynic on staff. Mm-mm. You're not cynical at all. No. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, I try to, I mean, there are moments I think that's important to be critical I think it's yeah, supposed to have like thinking. critical thinking, critical eye even at times. But once it, man, once it gets into that space, I just think it's a spiral that keeps you from moving forward because you're always second guessing everybody's motives. And that just is exhausting. Yeah. Like if you're questioning everybody's motives in a relationship, if you're questioning everything that's going on in your job, if you're questioning everything that's surrounding you in the world, that's just plain exhausting. And I yeah. think it takes up so much time. You stop dreaming, you stop living 
for future. You stop helping others because you start thinking, oh, it just drives It's the me opposite nuts. of faith. And yep. I, I think to accomplish anything, you just have to have faith. And you have to have big visions and you just have to believe they're possible. And I'm not talking about like sit around, look at the mirror and go, you can be great. Well, but stop I, being cynical because that works. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> I think. You can walk. I think the biggest way people mess up their lives. Cynicism might actually be bigger now that I think of it. <laughs> Significant relationships with the wrong people. Yeah. And I really mean like the romantic kind. Because that's, oh. I mean, not because they're romantic. Mm-hmm. I mean like. Because you're romantic? Well, because that's the person that's going to affect you the most. Yeah. You know, and I hate to say it. I just think the way you mess with your life, you just marry the wrong person. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hate that. I'm, I'm being <laughs> cynical now. Yeah, now you're being cynical about it. No, but that, like, I think that's actually like, true. Relationships are like who you surround yourself with. I think who you are a year from now, you know, I've heard all that yeah. stuff about like yep, yep, yep. is the books you read. I think now even the movies you see, yeah. the content you consume, but also the people you're around. And even more the people. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. You get a sense of optimism and hope and anything's possible yeah. by hanging out with people who feel that way. Yeah. Hang out with cynics, you're going to become a cynic. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the reason I asked this is yes. because I had the chance to interview David Covey mm-hmm. and Stefan Mardix, and they wrote a book called Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. <laughs> and they basically talk about the seven ways people really screw up their lives. Yeah. And it, it was a fascinating conversation. David is Stephen Covey's son. Mm-hmm. So imagine that. Yeah. Like your dad, he actually talks in the interview about when that book took off, Seven Habits of Highly Effective yeah. People. So. That was part of my freshman college curriculum. Really? You guys everybody, had, you had to read that? Everybody had to read Seven Habits. Yep. Wow. Well, then no wonder. It's all like 40 million copies. Yeah. So David was raised in, in that environment. He and Stefan were co-COO of Franklin Covey, which at the time was like a quarter billion dollar organization. Yeah. And they're just really smart guys. They wanted to do something else with their lives, and they joined together. They wrote this book, and I thought it was really fascinating. And it's, it's a wonderful conversation. Stefan is French, mm-hmm. but he lives in Texas. Oh, we. Oui. And he has... <laughs> He has a. Well, is that how the Texans would say we? Yeah, way. I always had this. <laughs> if Southwest that's... Airlines ever parlez-vous français? That's, it, that's exactly <laughs> it. If Southwest ever, Airlines ever flies to France, uh-huh. I have the commercial. There's a guy with a cowboy hat <laughs> on a subway in Paris, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's like clearly sore thumb. He's uh-huh. clearly standing out. Yeah, and then he just says like really loud, "Y'all have a water burger here." <laughs> and then the Southwest Airlines logo comes up and says, now flying to France. <laughs> hmm. I mean, I don't want to be cynical about that. but <laughs> That's a good ad. I mean, I'm not bursting that bubble, but I feel like it's worth putting up on the board and we can kind of like workshop it and see where it goes. Southwest, if you're listening, 250 bucks, you can have the idea. 250 bucks. That's, that's cheap. It is. And I'll even be the guy in the cowboy. Y'all have a water burger? <laughs> Oh, and maybe they would think the Eiffel Tower is an oil derrick. That could work. I like that, yeah. actually. But basically, it's like these kinds of people are now going to come to France. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful they... people from Texas. We love people from Texas. Oh, Stop I, being I love cynical. you. I love your guns. I love the size of you. It's huge. I love how you kept Mexico from getting back their land at the He's Alamo. Gonna, oh, my gosh. We're going to get emails about that comment. <laughs> <laughs> you You're more... from Texas. You're from Texas. I know. <laughs> and, and, because, and we can make fun of ourselves. Yes. If you did it, I'd have to pull a gun. Then you'd have to be. Yeah. <laughs> because I do carry. patriotic, but yeah. oh, my gosh. All right. Anyway, sure. I, I think I might just fallen into a trap. The uh, Texas yeah, trap. Yeah, We're going to add this. Never Texas talk trap. poorly Yeah, is there? About open Texas. that book up and read it again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the conversation 
was wonderful. Stefan is a Texan, by the way, with a harsh French accent. But it's a, it's a great interview. And a lot of times we look at life and we say, hey, what are the five things I need to do to succeed? But we, we don't think about what are the things that I need to avoid. Yeah. And they're just very practical. David Covey has an amazing family. And he, and he gets into the way their family is structured. It's really different the way he does family. Yeah. And uh, he gets in an interview. Anyway, they were kind enough to fly in from Utah. They were here in the studio. Actually, they were here earlier today. Yeah. Today. And we had a long conversation, and here's the best of that conversation. Here's my conversation with David Covey and Stefan Mardix. David Covey and Stefan Mardix, welcome. Thanks for having us. You guys flew into Nashville from Utah. I did. And, and from, from Dallas, Texas. And from Dallas, Texas. A French man living in Dallas. Yes, sir. Well, you've got a book that we don't want to talk about. It's called Trap Tales. But first, I want to know how you came to write the book. Both of you were at Franklin Covey. You ended up in the C-suite of that company. What, what was your job there at Franklin Covey? What did you guys do? You we partnered were, there. We were co-COOs of Franklin Covey. Co-COOs. Uh-huh. I've never heard of a co-COO. Did you fight a lot? Yeah, not at all. In fact, <laughs> uh, I was running the U.S. business, and Stefan was running the international business. And Oh, there you go. We had a lot of conflicts between the U.S. and international, but Stefan and I got along great, so we proposed to the CEO, hey, let us run the U.S. and the international business together. Right. And operate as the co-CEOs. And right, well, I think it's fantastic. We obviously did a great one. job. That company was very successful. So Thank congratulations you. on that. You left Covey. You started something else, but you ended up writing this book, yeah. Trap Tales. And I was actually diving into the book and meeting you guys. I expected it to be sort of a career business book. It covers that. But it's really more of a life planning, life, how to avoid mistakes sort of book. Exactly. We started off, uh, our business initially was to take companies global, right. their content, and we have a lot of great brands that we've helped go internationally uh, in our business. But we've noticed that there were some gaps in some of the training offerings that were out there. And one of the gaps that we noticed was this whole concept around traps and how people fall into traps in life yeah. and work. and Sort of the forks in the road where they chose the wrong path. Yeah. Can you, can you look at it well, that way? It, well, traps are kind of more things that are holding you back from reaching the success that you want. Right. So a lot of times people... Don't think about life as a series of traps. You know, they think about, you know, maybe mistakes I make or a wrong strategy that I implemented. But we think there's actually forces at play that are actually physically, you know, mentally and spiritually and socially keeping people from achieving the success that they want to achieve in their life. And Stefan and I are, you know, love playing chess. He's better a chess player than I am. (laughs) Really, the purpose of chess is to try to get your opponent to, to fall, fall into, into traps trap. and yeah. to be several moves ahead of them. And we think that in life, if you can learn to become a trapologist, which is what we talk about in the book, yeah. where you can be an expert at spotting and staying out of traps, you're going to be able to achieve the, the goals that you want and the success that you're looking for. When you see somebody who's messed up their lives a little bit, you, are you pretty convinced that they've probably done one of these seven things? Absolutely. And, and you know, we all make mistakes. Right. The smartest people make mistakes, for sure. And when you look at mistakes, then you become guilty and you feel stupid. Right. But if you look at it as traps and said, okay, well, why did I fall in this trap? You know, why didn't spot it? Then it opens up, you know, such a new way of framework to think about it. And, and then it's like quicksand. When you get into a quicksand, the more you are in the quicksand and the more you move and you become, you know, you're not sure about what you are doing, you get stuck. And there's techniques to get out of quicksand. Yeah. And it's exactly what we're about. We're giving a blueprint on spotting traps, 
outsmarting traps and getting you out of the quicksand. Right. And we give what we call epiphany breakthroughs, uh-huh. which is really unconventional wisdom because the traditional conventional approach doesn't work anymore. What do you mean? What is the traditional Well, approach? like for example, I've been doing a lot of interviews on this. So debt. So we have the right. money trap. Trap right. two is the debt right. trap. And people fall into debt and they have a hard time getting out. So the traditional approach to getting out of debt, a lot of financial advisors and teachers and authors will teach you this, is you need to budget. Mm-hmm. You need to budget. You need to be disciplined and restrained and rely on you know the willpower of setting up a budget and sticking to it. Yeah, well, it makes sense. A lot of people have said that, but you're saying... I don't know if, if what world these people live in, but I tried that with my wife. <laughs> and, uh, you know... Lasted a week. Maybe everybody else, but the Covey household has struggles with it. But yeah, it didn't last very long. We got in a lot of fights. We had a lot of big discussions around, you know, what she was spending and what, what I was spending and, and a lot of criticism. And we didn't get out of debt. It didn't help us, the budgeting. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I'm not g- against budgeting, but I don't think it's a very effective approach to getting out of debt. So what we suggest and what we did in our situation is we had like $90,000 of credit card debt. Wow. And what we did is we set up a debt paper snake. And so we created this scoreboard. You got to make debt fun. You got to make it interesting. And you got to take the monotony out of it. Gamify it. Yeah, gamify it. And that's what we did is we gamified it. And we set up this debt paper snake. We put it in our kitchen. You mean like a paper chain? Like a the, paper the chain, yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I it had $1,000 for every $90,000 of debt that we had. That's brilliant. And we got our kids involved. It was amazing to see the involvement that, that happened from our kids because our kids went from, you know, I want to get this Lego, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want to add to that lousy, stinking debt. Mm. And anytime we started to cut the snake because we were reducing our debt, we couldn't do it. Our kids had to do it. Because they wanted to be the ones right. to cut $1,000 or $2,000 off. And in 18 months, we got rid of our debt. That's amazing. And I'm telling you, we tried budgeting for two years. Yeah. It didn't work. Yeah. The paper debt snake and the scoreboard and gamifying and making it fun absolutely worked. And I'm sure that there's a few people out there that are like us. Yeah. So if budgeting works for you, that's great. I think that's the conventional approach. But I think in the case of debt, I don't know if the conventional approach is always going to work. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it, you know, it's like diets don't work. Right. So you got to figure out how to gamify that. You know, we, or we, New we, Year's we, resolutions. Yeah, we think about what things that do just that. don't have any result. So is this the way you guys kind of think? You kind of go, okay, everybody's doing it this way. It's not working. Let's figure something else. Is that part of the approach to this? Totally. Pe- people learn through contracts. Compare and contrast and differentiation. Okay. And if you kind of just give the same kind of thing and maybe with a little twist on it, it's not really memorable, and people don't really know that. And we're not just doing that just to sell books or yeah. doing that just because it's fancy or cute. But we really believe that in life that there are some tried and true conventional approaches that don't really cut it. Yeah. Albert Einstein said that the problems that we face cannot possibly be solved at the same level of thinking we were at when we created them. So we have all these problems and challenges in our society and we're not going to be able to solve them through the old approaches. Yeah. And so we're big believers that it takes a whole new paradigm, a whole new approach, kind of a whole new epiphany, insight that's going to lead to new breakthroughs in behavior. Well, the categories, the traps that people can fall into, the relationship trap, the money trap, the focus trap, the change trap, the learning trap, the career trap, 
And then finally, the purpose trap. And I actually yep. want to touch on each of them, if you guys don't mind. Let's do it, yeah. I love that you start with relationships, because you would think coming out of Franklin Covey and Seven Habits, and you guys have, you know, four disciplines of execution came out of that think tank. You'd think it'd be all business, profit, or in productivity, which you don't think about relationships. I mean, you do, but, you know, it's a soft word, and it's hard to measure that. You start with it. It's the foundation of your book. So what are you talking about when you talk about the relationship trap? What do we fall into there? So it's the trap that married couples okay, fall into, and that's where they operate as a married single. What, is, what does operating as a married single look like? What it means is that you get married, and you never make the transition from I to we. Right. So it's kind of like uh, you, know, you hire a, a salesperson to become a sales manager, and they still operate like a salesperson and still a sales manager. It's no longer about them. It's about the team. It's about we. It's about us. And the same thing with the marriage. When you get married, it's no longer just about yourself. It's about our relationship, our marriage, the vision that we're going to build together. And a lot of people in these relationships, they're not on the same page at all. There are three main reasons why. One is that they think that their upbringing is superior to that of their spouse. Right. The way that I was raised is the right way, right. and the way that you were raised is the wrong way. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, you know, all the things that you do wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we call that in my marriage. We call that moralizing your preferences. <laughs> so <laughs> I you love have a it. preference, yeah. but you turn it into some moral play. Yeah. So Betsy and I will catch each other all the time. I think you're moralizing your preferences, Don. <laughs> oh, maybe so. We see so that that's play part of it. Yeah, yeah. That's part of it. Another one is that you never make that transition. So a lot of times, people are getting married later in their life now. Yeah. And they're used to their life as a single person, and they don't make a transition from me to we. Yeah. So it's now about the team. It's about. So it's what about, are the practical tools that we can in this chapter? What are you saying we do to to make that paradigm shift? Yeah. So three things. The first is yeah, you got to get on the same page on finances. Finances cause wow. the biggest problems in marriages. What are we going to do with the money? What are we going to do with the money? How are we going to spend our money? What's our philosophy around money? Who manages the money? When do we need to get permission from each other when we buy something of a certain value? Right. Get on the same page about money. Most marriages are not on the same page, and that's why finances cause a lot of rifts in marriage. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. The second thing is, you know, if you have kids, how are you going to raise them? Yeah. What's your child-rearing philosophies? You know, how are you going to discipline? Mm-hmm. You know, how many kids love to play off their mom and dad against each other because right, they yeah. don't have that piece figured out. Yeah, it's not a unified team here. And the third is, how are the household duties going to be divided and managed? And if you really look at it, you know, we have so many women now that work outside the home compared to where it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, 50 years ago. But guess who still does all the household duties? Mm -hmm. The women. And it's really unfair for the women. So women, this is kudos out to you on this one. But, you know, men need to take a much larger and bigger responsibility in doing the household duties. And it's simply not the case. If you look at the statistics, it's like 80% of the housework is still done by, by women. And that's probably under exaggerated. It's probably probably more than that. Probably more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can learn in your marriage to kind of figure out and get on the same page and create a vision for that, hallelujah. You're going to be in a great place, and you're not going to fall in that relationship trap. And if you do fall into the relationship trap, that just affects everything else, I would imagine. I mean, if you're coming out of a a tense marriage, your career, your ability to learn, your ability to focus, all of that goes out the window. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people say, well, you know, what happens at home stays at home and it doesn't affect my work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, first of all, a lot of times work at people work out of their home. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. You can't divide it and separate it. It's very important that you get that relationship right. The money trap is next, and you actually hit on that a little bit earlier. Anything else we need to know about the money trap? I mean, you guys are against debt. You don't like debt. 
Yeah, so it's just the idea of getting out of debt through a gamification way. Right. A scoreboard is the way to do it. It's more effective than budgeting, I would argue. Yeah, okay. I think I agree with you. And once you are out of debt, you're going to create a tree, a green tree. Right. And, and all of that money that you're putting into debt, now you're going to put into four categories. Savings, investments, college education, and retirement. And you just have a branch. So you have that's, little, you, that's your excess cash. That's yeah. where it's going. That's yeah. what you have it. So in every one of these, you know, Albert Einstein. You gamify called, all four? Yeah. Oh. So we did that. We had the snake. We cut it up, and that was awesome. And then we created our tree. In that case, we had like these $5,000, you know, pieces of fruit that we get to put on each of the branches. <laughs> like a Christmas tree. You're just for, like, yeah. for all the four areas that we did it. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of kids. I've had four that have been in college already. And I can't and believe I you have any money at all. A lot of five twenty nine. If I didn't save five twenty nine money, I would have been screwed. But because of this tree, I saved you know wow. hundreds of you thousands of dollars in five twenty nine money, which I was able to then just pass on to tuition and housing and you know books and all that stuff. Uh, when did you start? Did you start when they were really young? Uh, the tree? Because yeah, you guys I, had to turn things around, right? I mean, you had ninety thousand dollars in debt. Yeah, I was. I didn't start till I was thirty. So, okay. you know, it would be better to start early, yeah, yeah, yeah. earlier. But one of the things, you know, in life you got to think about, you know, are you going to be a person that's going to pay interest most of your life? Or are you going to be a person that's going to collect interest most of your life? Yeah. <laughs> and Albert Einstein called compound interest the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah. It's that powerful. Yeah. yeah. Warren Buffett discovered it, and I think he discovered it in high school. <laughs> <laughs> well, Benjamin Franklin, right? Uh-huh. Left 1,000 pounds to the city of Philadelphia and 1,000 pounds to the city of Boston with the instructions to leave for 100 years, by the time they could uh, use it, it was worth you know tens of millions yeah, of dollars. Yeah, that's, so. well, that's great. All right, so the money trap, uh, gamify those four areas, make sure your future is set up. Yep. And I, I love the, the visual. You have a visual scoreboard. I know you're calling it a paper snake and a tree. Those are visual scoreboards. They're very reminiscent of Four Disciplines of Execution, which came out of you guys' think tank. Focus. This yep. is my favorite. Well, I think it's the one that most people mess up. And it just couldn't be more important. Yep. How do people lose their focus? And how do they fall into the focus trap? Well, when you think about it, the modern day society where we live, you know, I mean, we have so much coming at us. And we don't have any filtering system. Right. Or a lot of people don't have any filtering system. So they have all these things that take up their time, energy, and attention that shouldn't necessarily take up that time. And we're perpetually connected to the internet and electronic world. Most of that world is full of thin things. So we call this the focus trap, being mired in the thick of thin things. Stuff that doesn't matter? Stuff that doesn't matter. I love the thick of thin things. That's a great... And that's really what a lot of social media, unfortunately, is like. You know, it's it's the thick of thin things. I'm I'm not talking about, you know, not being able to keep in touch with people and uh, getting some benefits from that. But the amount of time that we spend on it is, is way excessive. And the other thing, too, is that we have this perception that things should happen automatically and instantaneously. Mm. And really, the best things in life take time. Mm-hmm. And we have to usually be patient, and we have to work hard for it. Yeah. And we don't have that mentality at all. Just like a farmer plowing a field. Exactly. You know, it might be a while before you see any fruit from this. Yeah, exactly. How do you stay focused? What are some practical techniques? So what you need to do is that you got to learn to say no, and you got to learn to filter and you got to learn to, you know, like if you have kids, you got to have some rules, you know. I have a lot of teenagers, and I have to, my wife and I have to monitor the screen time that they have. Mm-hmm. We have some uh, scoreboards that we do around reading, reading books, you know, wow. so that yeah. uh, all of this time is not spent on, uh, on screen time. I love the scoreboard on reading. Yeah. 
That's it's, really you good. know, 100 books. You know, it's just like, okay, we're going to do 100 books. and As a family? Each kid. In a year? No, usually over you know a couple of years. It usually takes them a couple of years well, to do that. That's awesome. But that's just think great. about it. You know, you finish your book and then you can read another book. And so instead of thinking about you know the game and you know the next game and what level you're on, you know, we try to get our kids to really focus on learning and books and. You do something things. else that's interesting. When I first met you, somebody told me that you spend a lot of time out of the country. That you you actually yeah. take your family to a foreign country, three months. Two to two and a half months. Two yeah. to three months. And I asked you about it, and you said you had a very interesting response. I don't know if you remember this when we first met, but you said, we've just chosen to not accumulate a lot of things and instead accumulate really great experiences. I thought this, that was very interesting. This, this it comes to the purpose trap where you value experiences over possessions. Yeah. And the idea is that having experiences and creating memories as a family is much more important than buying stuff. Yeah. Or accumulating stuff because stuff breaks down and brings you some temporary joy and happiness. But in the long run, it's not where true happiness is at. Yeah. And so we have done that for years. We lived a summer in uh, Tokyo. We lived a summer in London. That is so cool. I had a son that was going to school in Hawaii. So, of course, we got to live in Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> My wife spent some time in uh, Barcelona living there. And so we're going to go to San Sebastian. And we're going to live there for two to three months in uh summer of 2019 and we create these expectations about what we're going to do with our kids and right they get excited we get about excited it. about it i'm gonna have to learn some spanish you know my wife speaks spanish my son speaks spanish and i don't speak a lot of spanish so yeah, yeah. I, i'm motivated to kind of learn spanish you know I mean, uh, your kids are reading 50 books a year and spending two and a half months in another country these are going to be pretty great kids well my oldest son by the time he was 10 he lived in five different states in the United States, yeah. three foreign countries, and had traveled to 25 other countries. Wow. So as, a, that by a, itself he is an education. certainly has a global worldview. Yeah, exactly. He understands what's going on. Yeah. He applied to Chicago Business School, and he's going this fall. But uh, one of the things that they had on there was the PowerPoint presentation. So he talked about himself being this global traveler and how he had traveled all over the world and yeah. had all these amazing experiences. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so we're huge believers in uh, travel and, and having experiences. I'll be back with the rest of my interview with David Covey and Stefan Mardix in just a moment. All right, it's time for Marketing Mythbusters with Kula Callahan. Hi, Kula. Hello. In her Wonder Woman pose. <laughs> what is today's marketing myth? Today's marketing myth is this. Creativity wins in the marketplace. But doesn't it? No, Don. <laughs> if this were 1994, it would. Because things have changed. That's Absolutely. what you're going to say. Yeah, so 10 years ago when we weren't always on our phones, when we weren't always bombarded with all these commercial yeah. messages every single day, the most creative ad or the most creative message was what got our attention the most. But now since everyone's on their phones all the time. Everybody's creative now. Everyone's we're creative creators. now. Absolutely. The creative messages are the ones that are cluttering our minds. It's harder to stand out because everyone's using this fancy, elusive, cute language. Mm -hmm. And so no one stands out. But the messages that are heard by most people are the ones that are the clearest. Most effective billboard that I can think of. Because I think billboards are an enormous waste of money. For, not, not because <laughs> it's not good advertising. Because what you're saying on your stupid billboard, you can't catch right. running 85 miles per hour down the freeway. Most effective billboard. Guess what it is. Most effective billboard out there anywhere. Tell me. Gun show. <laughs> and then it's a picture of you flexing your arms no it's, they're always like hot pink or neon yellow and totally. just these huge because what you go gun shows coming up 
I got to go to the, the expo <laughs> show. Got to buy a gun. That's yeah. right. Yeah, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day, and Facebook ads are always a little creative and hard to follow. They try to be, yeah. But I saw one that said, our shirts are ridiculously soft. There you go. And I clicked it <laughs> because I'm like, oh, ridiculously soft shirts? That's what I want. Yeah. And I went there, and I busted the myth for myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Clicked on the one that was really clear. Well, we got a saying, you know, you know it, it. Don't be cute, be clear. Right, exactly. And if you're cute, yeah, I don't know, I've got nothing against creativity. But if you're being creative instead of being clear, it's going to cost you money. Absolutely. Leave your ego out of it. Listen, look at your advertising, look at your marketing, look at your website, look at your email blast. Are they clear? Are they clearly stating what you want your customer to do? If they are not, I want you to come to a marketing workshop. Go to storybrand.com, register for our workshop. We will help you find the language that will sell your products and services. And you'll be able to do it in a comfortable environment for two days, away from your office, away from distractions. It'll be the best investment in your company, likely, that you've ever made. I want you to come. Kula and I will both be there. Yep, we will. Still taking the workshop. Kula, thanks so much for joining us on Marketing Mythbusters. Thank you. I want to jump back because we, we jumped ahead to purpose, which is actually the last trap. So we'll ding on that in the end. But focus. Let's say you meet somebody. I meet these folks all the time who are 27, 28 years old. And they say, um, Don, I don't know what I want to do. And I think it's late in the game for you to figure out a focus. Not that it's too late, but you really should probably know by now and be heading in a direction. Even if you're going to pivot four years from now, yeah, you should be focused and heading in one direction so that we can get somewhere. How do you help somebody find their focus? I think my father used to talk about how you don't write your mission statement, you detect your mission statement. And so there's certain things, characteristics about you, certain things that you're good at. I mean, you got to find the intersection of what you are passionate about, what you love doing, and what you can make money at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you can find the intersection of those three things, then you can be very successful. The problem with a lot of people is that they kind of just jump into something because their friends have done it or it's convenient or, oh, I can make some good money at that. And then they get stuck. Yeah. In they, those chased, careers. they chased five grand and now they're stuck and still chasing five grand in a yeah. career they don't like. But we live in a world today where there's so many opportunities. You don't need to settle right. for anything. And you should be able to be doing whatever you, what you love doing, what you're passionate about, what you're good at, and where you can make money. So, you know, spend some time thinking about that, reflecting on that. Ask some of your friends, ask, ask your parents, where do you think my strengths lie? Where do you think I can make the biggest contribution and difference? And where can I differentiate myself from the rest of the pack? Yeah. And then go for it. And of course, not everything's going to work out. You know, a lot of times you have to change course or you're going to have to pivot. And, yeah. And, uh, Which bring, I mean, that brings up the next trap is you got to be able to change. You got to yeah. be able to embrace and engage change. So it's not just focus and do it forever and have discipline. Yeah. When you got to pivot, you got to pivot. It helps us understand where does change fit in and when people fail to change, you would consider that a trap? Yeah, absolutely. So change or procrastination, right? Procrastinating right, right. change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That is really the killer of growth and transformation because when we don't change something that we know that we our conscience is telling us that we should change, then we don't progress. We don't grow. We have so many of us that are out there that are needing to make changes in our life. And so it's not a matter of knowing about it. It's a matter of acting on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we need to learn to change courageously when our conscience dictates rather than change when we're forced to. And a lot of times, unfortunately, people don't change until they hit rock bottom. 
right? Yeah. yeah. Till they're very, very low, and, and, and they're actually forced to have to make that change because their circumstances yeah, require it. Yeah, you change, it. you're not going to eat. Yeah. That's too late. I mean, exactly. that's just long. Yeah, and then you don't have a lot of good options. Right? I remember that. People, at, you know, I was a memoirist for a long time and, and started story brands, so now we do marketing and all that kind of stuff. People would ask me, you know, some people lamented, we miss the old you. We miss the you who would write these books. And my response is always, you know, when you write your eighth memoir, you're a clinical narcissist. <laughs> At some point, you have to pivot. It's like, we've done this enough. Yeah. You know, I went camping, so now I'm going to write a book about it. That, that, that stops working. So I hear you, though. And I love that because I think a lot of us go, well, that's not who I am. I, I'm this. Change. Yeah. Don't be that anymore. That's right. Switch and, lanes. And that's one of the main messages in this book is the message of hope and the message that we can change the trajectory of our life at yeah. any time in our life. Yeah, and people will figure it out. After, yeah. after a year, they'll go, oh, oh, yeah, I forgot. You used to be a memoirist. Exactly. People know my father for writing The Seven Habits and Covey right. Leadership yeah. Center. But the first 25 years of his life, he was a professor for 25 years. Wow. That's what he did. Yeah. And when he was 50 years old, he started his own business. Became an entrepreneur. At 50. 50, five zero. When did he write Seven Habits? 57. Wow. So what he's known most for in the world is not what, is what the most he time did you know, 30 years into his career. I, mean, I think of Winston Churchill. You know, This is a guy, or even Abraham Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln lost you know, the Senate and the House and all these elections, and then he eventually became the president of the United States, a little bit older. Winston Churchill was like, what, in his 60s when he became... Yeah. The prime minister. So the message is that, you know, you can change it any time. You can't look at yourself and say, well, I'm 50 and, you know, my life is over and <laughs> it's not. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. All right. The learning trap. Okay. So this is the idea that about mistakes and how we got it all wrong. The idea is that we need to look at mistakes being part of the journey, part of our learning process, part of how we grow and progress. And a lot of times I think that people, especially in our society where you have such an image-based society where you, know, you look on you know, Facebook and social media and everybody's life looks perfect, right? And of course, our life looks boring and uneventful, right? Yeah. right? And so we try to project this persona and this image that everything is awesome and great and we don't want to be seen you know, looking bad or making any mistakes. And <laughs> it's the stupidest thing in the world. The mistakes is what allows us to grow and progress. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we got to look at that as part of the process. I was coaching my son in basketball. He'd never played competitive basketball before and he wasn't very good. Uh, I mean, he was good when he was by himself and, you know, he could beat his dad, you know, playing horse. But when he was out there with the other kids, he hadn't played competitively. But what he progressed from the first game to like the 10th game, he was amazing how much better he got. Right. So I learned to just congratulate him for the progress that he was making, and I didn't look at the end results. You know, did we win or lose? Right, yeah. And that's, that's a great perspective. Yeah, and yeah. That's, that's how just it is that in should, life right We should now. think of ourselves that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we should not be so obsessed with the end result that we should take some joy in the process along the way and the I journey along the way and praise that as well. You know, we do have to learn from our failures. And I'm just convinced if you can't learn from a failure, you can't lead. And you meet people who, well, they refuse to admit they've ever made mistakes. And so they make them again and again and again and again. It actually is, it baffles me. But I'm yeah. like, okay, this is the seventh time you've done this. You really haven't learned. They just learn to hide more of the mistakes and try to... Well, that's you know, what people do. They hide it and they yeah. spin it. 
or they cover it up. You know, like we mentioned in the book, Richard Nixon, you know, what killed his presidency was not the mistake of the break-in. It's the cover-up. It's the cover-up. The inability to say, yeah, I'm not perfect. And you know what? People are forgiving because they know they themselves make mistakes Mm -hmm. and they want someone else to give them a second chance and give them another turn. So they're going to be forgiving of of your mistakes. So we got to look at mistakes as part of the process. Think about Edison. You know, how many times the experiments did he have before he got the light bulb? You know, yeah, yeah. a thousand, you know, yeah, yeah. but that was just part of the process is making those mistakes and going through those iterations. Pixar, I know it's a big yeah. fan of, uh, of your in terms of a company you admire. Ed Catmull talks about how when they start making these movies, he says they suck. They <laughs> say they're not very good at all. He yeah. says, I'm not just saying that. I'm just saying, I'm being no, they're honest. Really, they're, they they're are really not bad. very good, yeah. but they believe in the process of iteration and they iterate and they iterate and they iterate. I mean, you're a writer, you know yeah, this. Yeah. Your writing usually is not that great when you first do it. Right. You know, or maybe you're a genius and it comes out perfectly. Absolutely not. My guess is that you iterate and you iterate and you iterate and it becomes better and better along the way. Yeah. That's how we need to look at life. I love it. The sixth trap, the career trap. Yep. And is what what is this about? So this is the trap of settling. Oh, yeah. Okay, and losing your passion and inspiration at work. There's really two that sort of overlap that. We did an interview with Stephen Mansfield, and he talked about how to predict the fall of a leader. And one of them was he's outside of his window. He's outside of his season. Yeah. He had a season for this, and the season has passed, and he's still in it, or she's still in it. It, It's kind of like that, right? You're in a career that made sense at one time. It doesn't make sense anymore. Yeah, so that's the case. That's a lot of people get in a career that you know they're not happy with. But there's really four aspects to a successful career. First is money. You don't want to be paid fairly for what you do. Right. Second is you want to have your ideas utilized. You don't want to check your brain into the door. You know, you want to be able to feel be like... useful. You'd be useful, yeah. And then people care about your ideas and want to implement your ideas or at least hear them. Third is you want to be passionate about what you do. You want to feel like, you know, I enjoy this and I'm passionate about my work and my contributions. And fourth is you want to feel like you're making a difference, you know, that it's contributing to something. It's moving the needle on something. Yeah. And those are the four aspects of those, those are, It's so close to Viktor Frankl's logotherapy. Exactly. Right? I yeah. mean, th- how you get a sense of meaning. Yeah. But there's somebody listening to this podcast. There's a lot of people listening to this podcast. They just heard what David said, and they're saying... I hate my job. I hate my career. But it's too late. I'm 42 years old. And I'm making $80,000 a year. And what else am I going to do? What, what's your advice to this person? It's never too late. Quit. I mean, you want them to quit? Well, no, you have to prepare. You have to have a plan. Yeah. But if you lose your passion, eventually you will get fired anyway. Right? Absolutely. And you're not contributing to that team. You are not. Yeah. So you have to find a way to contribute and have a plan. Yeah. Part of it is, you know, practical advice. I just believe this so much that today you need to mark something on the calendar and you just say a year from now I'm not in the job anymore. Because I think until you say that and write it down, the plan will come to you after you make the decision. The plan will arrive on your doorstep if you make the decision. But I just think life is way too short to be working a job that you, you weren't designed to work. I, I just believe that. Yeah, a lot of times, like you say, Don, you got to burn the ships. Yeah, yeah, right? you do. Because then you're forced to figure out yeah. something else. Because if you don't do that, then you're always finding an excuse. It's always an inconvenient time to do it. Or I'll do it after this. 
And what happens is that a short-term job turns into a long-term stay. Yeah. And before you know it, it'd be like, what? I've, I've been at this job for 30 years. I hate this job. I never wanted to do this. How did I, how did I get into this? <laughs> and you guys lived this. I mean, you were co-COOs. Not that you hated your job, but you were co-COOs. You realized this is not the career I want. I want to talk about traps and help people live a more meaningful life. That was tough for you guys because you had to sign a non-compete clause, right? We did. How yeah. long were you stuck? How long were you not able to move on and, and you took that risk anyway? It was two years. but, but Wow, you know, two yeah, years. But we didn't feel stuck. You know, frankly, we left in very good terms, and that's not the point. But the point is, you know, we wanted to make a different contribution. But it was a risk. It was a you risk. You had a cush no, job and abs- a good company. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was a time in our life where we had this message about helping people to get out of traps mm-hmm. and a framework. And the framework that you like, I know you know about storytelling, mm-hmm. about, you know, so what is the stories? What are the traps about the stories and the wisdom? Mm-hmm. And in our case, the unconditional wisdom, you yeah. know, how to look at those seven traps in a different way. And we made a lot of studies, interviewed a lot of people, met a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, read, uh, you know, over 200 business books. And we came up with those seven traps. And yeah. our goal was, well, we made some great contributions at Franklin Covey. Now let's make some great contributions, you know, helping people, you know, outside of the seven habits. You know, it's interesting. A lot of books would say, do these seven things and you'll succeed. I love this angle of know about these seven pits and you won't fall into them. Absolutely. And it's a little bit of a different look at it. Okay, lastly. Yeah, it's just like the force field analysis. Are you familiar with that? No. So you're at a current state trying to get to this desired state of where you right. want to be. And you have driving forces, and you have restraining forces. Right. Most people just put more driving forces. But they, say, yeah, put that's your, a put great way to put on the it. Metal, yeah, you don't put your foot on the pedal, and let's just do it. But what they don't realize out is of that backpack. you've got your other foot on the stopping you, you know, yeah. preventing you from going. And you got to figure out ways to how to you know let that foot up. Oh, it makes sense because a lot so, of people aren't experiencing the career they want. They're not accomplishing what they wanted to do in life because their relationships are messed up. They're they're in debt. Their finances are messed up. They're not focused. And you know? you're stuck, yeah. you know. And when when you're at that point, I mean, if anybody's been in real big debt, you're in a horrible place. You know, you're owned. It's like bondage. Yeah. You know, and you're stuck. And so these are keeping people from achieving the things that they want in their life and the success that they should be getting in their life. Finally, Trap 7, you have a sense of purpose. Yeah. It wraps it up. None of this makes any sense unless you're experiencing yep. a deep sense of meaning. So this is the, the trap of accumulation or the ultimate lie we don't discover until the end. Okay? Yeah. And what that means is that a lot of people think that life is about acquiring things, right, and accumulating things. And they do this their whole life. You know, they're keeping up with the Joneses and they, they see everybody that has toys and things and so they follow suit and they think all these things are going to bring them happiness. And then they get to the end of their life and the deathbed literature, I don't know if you've read any of the deathbed yes, literature. Yes, I have actually a lot of it. They do not talk about possessions. They don't talk about money. They don't talk about awards. They don't talk about accolades. What they care about is relationships. They care about service. They care about contributions and they care about memories it's all about those type of things. And it's the ultimate lie you don't discover until the end because they right. get to the end of their life and they're thinking, yeah, wait, I spent my think, whole life yeah, doing this yeah. and none of these things matter. Now, it's not that they don't play a role. I think they just play a secondary role. Mm-hmm. You know, So that's why I say experiences before possessions. Well, until you know what you're going to do with your life, possessions uh, can't be used as tools. Because if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what tools you're supposed to buy. 
for us, Betsy and I put together a little marriage plan before we got married. And we said we wanted to have a restorative marriage that when I come home, I get to be restored. But she walks in the That's door, great, she gets yeah. to be restored. Anybody who walks in this, the door of this house, they get to be, that was the theme of our marriage. So we started saying, okay, well, when we started buying things, well, does this have to do with a restorative marriage? And, and a lot of times we, it didn't, but we were like, yeah, we want it anyway. But at least we had a filter to be able to say, does this help or not? That is great. I love that, that you guys had that filter in which you could judge you know, your purchases around. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know what uh, you're doing, you have no filter at all. Yeah. Well, you guys want to actually create trapologists. And this is a very interesting concept to me because you know, it's a wonderful book, but it's actually something that I could see somebody sitting down for a full day with somebody and creating kind of a life plan and sort of analyzing almost like an audit, like a life audit. Tell me what a trapologist will do and how you can perhaps become a trapologist. What, where are you guys taking this thing? So for us, you know, this is about learning about the basic and modern traps. So we had seven, right? right. We started off with like 30. Right. And we had to debate and argue about which ones were going to be the seven. Yeah. Right, because you can't be a covey and have like six <laughs> traps or eight traps. Right, Sorry, you got to have to have seven traps. <laughs> but it, it really is about being a trapologist, about being somebody who can see these traps. You know, not being someone who's going to pay interest their whole life, but right. it's going to earn interest. Right. You know, being someone that's focused in your work, being someone that realizes that the purpose of life is about relationships and it's about service and contributions. It's not about accumulating things. And by becoming a trapologist, you can teach other people how to do this as well. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that, all of us are going to be a heck of a lot happier and more prosperous, and we're going to have better relationships, and, and we're going to make... save lives. And we're going to save bottom lives. bottom line, you're going to save lives. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then think about, you know, this Venus fly trap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we all know, you know, and we all have seen those videos where you have this insect, you know, this spider getting in this uh, Venus fly trap. And why you are getting into it is because it smells good. It's very, you know, seductive. Yeah. It tastes good. And a trapologist is someone stuck. who is going to stop you. We are going to learn, okay, I'm not going to get into this trap, this Venus fly trap. I'm going to learn to recognize where, you know, and based on those seven traps, what is good for me and what is important in my life. And if I can do that, if I can spot those traps, or learn to get out of it, I will be more successful. And David said it earlier, but it's really a message of hope. Yeah. At any stage of your life, you can learn to get out of those traps and you can go faster to achieve your goals and frankly, to be more successful. Well, the book not only talks about the traps that you don't want to fall into, it talks about how to get out of them if you're in them. So if you really just want a foundation for living a successful, meaningful life, I highly recommend the book Trap Tales. Guys, I'm so grateful for your time. The book is called Trap Tales, Outsmarting the Seven Hidden Obstacles to Success. David Covey, Stefan Mardix, thank you for being with us today. Thanks, Thanks for so having much. us, Don. Good stuff. Yeah, so practical. I, yeah, super. I like the paper chain stuff. Yeah. I try to gamify everything. <laughs> See, no, you gamify everything. Everything just gets better. <laughs> yeah. if, you game, if you gamify everything. That is a Betsy great and I word. are currently trying to have gamify? children, and we, we're just trying to gamify that process. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez.
she's not super oh, excited about it. Oh, now you're going to get emails from Betsy. We have a public scoreboard. I'm going to have to stop. <laughs> public scoreboard I'm, in the bedroom. Oh, my gosh. Don't, <laughs> seriously? This she is going to be. Listen. She doesn't listen to this podcast. I'll make her. <laughs> <laughs> I think gamifying things. Well, anyway, that, I, think, I thought it was a great interview. I think they could easily add cynicism to that list. Uh-huh. It was probably on one of their original 30. Listen, next week's guest is Anthony Anarino. Anthony is a sales expert. He's a sales coach. He yeah. coaches salespeople all over the world. If you have to sell anything, which is all of us, probably everybody listening to this podcast has some sort of business. you got to sell something. you got to pitch a vision. Anthony's got some great tips, and they were actually really surprising to me. That's next week's podcast. I do want you to hear a little clip of it just to tease you. Here's a little bit of my conversation with Anthony Anarino. Why I wrote this book and the reason I wrote it the way I did is because a sales manager would say, this is a terrible salesperson. And I would look at them and say, wait, they've got really good business acumen. They're really good with clients. They're really good at figuring out the client's problem, but they really just don't have the discipline to do this work. It's not that they're a terrible person. They just need to develop their disciplines. And rather than looking at the individual and saying this individual is this, a failure, not good, it forces people to look at them and say, what areas do they need to improve to do better than they're doing? And self-discipline is one of them. And I think, you know, when you think about your own competencies, there are areas that you want to improve. And the mindsets tend to come before the skill sets. Because if you have really good skills, but you don't have things like discipline, then the skills don't really amount to as much as they should for you. All right, so there you go. Next week, Anthony Anarino is on the podcast. If you have to sell anything, you're going to want to listen. Also, just subscribe to the podcast. You can go on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast. It'll show up in your email when we release a new one every Monday morning. But be sure to tune in for next week's conversation. JJ, another great episode of Building the Story Brand Podcast. Yes. Well, I like working with you because you're not you cynical. Do. I try not to be. And I say that as sincerely as I possibly can. I just rolled my eyes at you. <laughs> <laughs> music from this episode is by Andrew Bell. You can listen to Andrew's music on Spotify or iTunes. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Building a Story Brand podcast, where we believe if you confuse, you'll lose. Noise is the enemy, and creating a clear message is the best way to grow your business. <laughs>